Well, good morning, church family. It's good to see you guys and guests, welcome. I want to acknowledge all of the church family and guests online as well. My name is Brandon. I'm our Community Next Steps pastor, and I have the honor and privilege to bring this second installment in our teaching series called Reset. Now, not too long ago, I had several conversations with people, uh, typically during Zoom calls sort of thing as we're in quarantine, but there w- this statement would get said often of, I wonder what the new norm's going to be. Like, th- just out of curiosity, did anybody say that, or at least maybe you heard someone say that? A few head nods. Yeah, I, I probably said it uh, a few times as well. I, I wonder with this teaching series, Like with this idea of reset, maybe this would be the new norm. That regardless of COVID-19 and quarantines and all this different stuff, that we can just wipe the slate clean and that we can just hit reset. You know, Pastor Ryan, he did an awesome job last week and just that idea of hitting reset with our worship and just checking our hearts that we're just not in hollow worship, that it's just worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And today, we're gonna have this conversation about community. What does it mean to hit reset when it comes to community? Now, it's kind of ironic as the guy who has community in his title to to be speaking about the subject of, of community sort of thing. Honestly, I could spend eight weeks teaching about community and we just don't have time for that sort of thing. But we believe that community is so important here at Radiant Life. And you heard Pastor Ryan and Pam talk about it already, the Next Steps experience. We spend week two nothing but the topic of community. And so I wanna encourage you, go sign up for in-person or online for Next Steps next month. And you might be sitting there like, well, the community pastor is just getting a bone for promoting life groups for the month. It's bigger than that, I hope. Yes, go sign up for a life group. If you got questions, there'll be someone standing at the table uh, right out these doors where it says you belong here. But it's not about life groups. It's a bigger concept than that. And I hope that we can come into this room and just maybe be bent a little bit, allow God to speak to us, and let's just hit reset in the way that we view community. And so I wanna, I wanna pray for you, I wanna pray for me, and I wanna pray for the folks who are joining us online here this morning. So Heavenly Father, uh, we, we give you this morning, thank you for that powerful worship of music, and Lord, as we get into your word, I pray that it is all you. And Lord, I just pray that you would soften our hearts and open up our minds, that maybe, maybe we have a tainted view of community, or maybe we've gotten stuck in a rut of how we view community. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our heart of hearts? Would you speak to us and allow us to hit reset? And would you mold us and shape us more into the idea of community? So Lord, uh, I do ask that you would use me in spite of me here this morning, and may your word just be spoken here today, and it's in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Pastor Ryan's right. It is awesome being on the stage instead of staring at a camera like, whew, I'm feeling it already. So uh, I want to uh, bring your attention to this guy right here, Paul Hebert. Now you can see that he's already passed away. 
He grew up as a missionary kid over in India, spent several decades over there, and then he moved back. Super smart dude. You can Google him, Wikipedia. You can do all that stuff later. But super smart guy, ended up becoming a professor, loves Jesus, but there were some things that just like brought tension to him. He struggled with some things, especially with the idea of community. In fact, he, he would uh, reflect on his time in India, and like they, they would preach the gospel, the good news about Jesus, but people were having a hard time with the community aspect. They loved Jesus, but they had a hard time with the community. And he was reflecting on that and was trying to process that whole thing. And so uh, what he uh, realized was that uh, this can happen is like American missionaries would go to other countries, bring the good news of Jesus, but they would also bring a lot of their culture with them with the expectation that the local people would adjust their culture to kind of match the missionary's culture. So like, hey, once you accept Jesus, you gotta sing these type of songs, you gotta dress a certain way, and people had a hard time with that in their particular culture. Like, oh, I have to, like, my family would disown me sort of thing if, if I was to do this. And so he started just processing that, like I said, he's a super smart guy, but he used this math theory and math equations to process what does community look like. Now, I hear, like, I'm not going to do any math questions. I promise you, like, this is the last guy that you want to teach you about math. But there's some concepts about this idea that I think that we can use in the way that we view community. And I'm a visual learner. It helps me process things. And so he has this equation and this idea has nothing to do with math. So stop thinking about math. I'm not going to give you an equation. I promise you. But the first thing that he thought of was a bounded set. A bounded set. So there were clear attributes that belonged to this bounded set. And it, it was clear that either you're in this type of community or you're outside of this type of community. So like, let me give you an example. A family reunion, right? Like you go to the family reunion because you were born into the family, you were married into the family, uh, you were adopted into the family. So there's a clear bounded set of uh, unique attributes that are clear to this community. Like you're not going to invite your neighbor to come to your family reunion. Does that make sense? So I think we see this playing out even in Southwest Michigan area. Like we see different kind of bounded community sets. Um, so if you get married, you, you grow a beard and you wear, wear certain types of clothing. Uh, you choose to not use electricity or cars. Like the Amish community, right? Like it's very clear who's part of the Amish community and who is not part of the Amish community. But as church histories goes, like sometimes we see this playing out within the church, right? Like, um, you know, what type of music do you listen to? Pastor Ryan hit on this last week of, well, do you sing out of a book or do you sing from the words on the screen sort of thing? Or do you have to wear a suit jacket and a tie? And ladies, you're not allowed to wear pants. You have to wear a dress that goes down to the ankles and your hair has to be in a bun. Like, like sometimes we've added these things to this. And Paul Hebert saw that there's also a centered set. 
So either you, you could be anywhere out here, anywhere, but you, you could be heading towards the center or you can be heading away from the center. So now that we have this visual, let's get into the scriptures a little bit and see if we can see a real life example of this playing out with, with just this idea, this concept of a bounded set or a centered set. So if you have your Bible, please head over to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. If you're using the YouVersion Bible app, there should be a live event. The scriptures are in there. You can put your notes in there. It's super cool. So in Matthew chapter 9, if you brought your paper Bible, for one, you're my favorites. I think you're awesome. I'm just a little biased on that. But there's something about a paper Bible and being able to mark it. And so if you brought a paper Bible, I'm actually going to ask you to mark a couple of things in your Bible. If you're like, you can't do that to a Bible, I promise you, you will not get hit by lightning if you mark in your Bible. I promise you. Because I would have been hit a whole bunch of times already by now. Okay? So Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to get into the story here that Matthew, one of the 12 apostles, wrote. So as Jesus went from there, okay, so back up, just give it a little context. Jesus just healed this paralytic man, and then he got into a confrontation with some religious people, the Pharisees, and he moved on from there, and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, read these two words with me, follow me, follow me. Super simple message, two words. Most of you are like, I wish Brandon's messages were that short. <laughs> Thanks, Pastor Ryan. But follow me, right? Like, Matthew's just doing his thing. We're going to unpack that a little bit. Maybe you understand some of the cultural context of a tax collector. We'll unpack that in here in just a second. But the message to Matthew was very, very simple. It literally meant, Follow me. So let's continue. And he got up and he followed him. Any questions? Super simple, right? Like, I mean, it doesn't say that like he leaped over the table and started following Jesus. But there, there seems to be like Matthew just stopped what he was doing and he started following Jesus. And this is significant. This is huge especially as we unpack the cultural context and just the world that Matthew lived in for him to just get up and follow him. Let's continue because now, now it's not just this encounter with Matthew at his workplace. Now it's moved to his house. While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners there's tax collectors and there's sinners. So even if you're not a follower of Jesus, like this whole church thing is new to you, like you know that the word sinners, that's kind of like a negative word. Tax collectors didn't even make it under that umbrella. They're in their own complete category outside of sinners. So see that, like the scripture put it in there, and sinners, like they've, they separated these two groups, came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. There's a lot of meat here. There's a lot of stuff here. So we see three groups of people that are mentioned here. So I just want to pause in the story for just a second and really emphasize on this last group of people, the disciples. So if you have your paper Bible, depending on where it's at on the page, you might need to flip over one more page and go to chapter 10 or scroll over to chapter 10. Let's look at these disciples starting at verse 2 in chapter 10. 
It says, these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, uh, who is called Peter. He's the guy that walked on water. He's the guy that denied Jesus. And then his brother, Andrew. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, who's the one that wrote what we're reading right now. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Now, normally if you're doing your normal Bible reading, you're like, oh yeah, it's just a bunch of names, I'll just skip this section. This is where the action is. I'm telling you, this is gold right here. So you can see that I marked, out of the 12 names that are listed, three of them have extra attributes added to their name. Tax collectors, Matthew. So what would happen, Rome was in charge. They were dominating the world. They were taking over everybody. And so what they would do is they'd collect taxes. And so what they would do is hire local people to collect the taxes from their own people. It kind of softened the blow a little bit from Rome. But they were very oppressive and they, they had high taxes. And so as a tax collector, what you would do is you would bid. You would bid, hey, I'll collect 25% in taxes sort of thing. And Rome would say, yep, we got you. You, you collect those taxes. But what would happen is, let's say you all bring your goods and your services, and, and I'm the tax collector, like you grow grain and barley, and, and maybe you have some sheep or whatever. You'd have to come and pay taxes. But what I would do is, I'd charge you 35. I would charge you 40% in taxes. And so what I would do is, I would just pocket the difference in between that. And man, I was rich. I hope that you're mad at me right now for collecting that extra 10, 15% on you right now. So I just, I want you to feel the weight of that. And he's doing it from his own people. And so now you have the Jewish people like, man, Rome's already oppressing us right now. They're already taxing the snot out of us. And now you're going to tax us above and beyond that. And so remember, Jesus He's hanging out at Matthew's house with all these other tax collectors, all the other rich guys who are taxating their own people. Feel that. But let's add a little bit more tension to this. Simon the Zealot. How many of you guys know what a zealot is? That was actually a couple more people than what I expected to answer that, right? Like, it's just not something that you hear about very often. So they were full of zeal. Uh, zealots were very political. They were very patriotic. They loved their people. In fact, they would kill others who were oppressing their own people because of how patriotic they were. And so now you have this super patriotic person Hanging out with a tax collector. Now, one of my favorite commentaries is William Barclay. I've got a few of his quotes uh, here today. Here's his commentary on this interaction between Simon and Matthew. He says, the plain fact is that if Simon the Zealot had met Matthew the tax gatherer anywhere else other than in the company of Jesus, he would have stuck a dagger in him. He would have, you're done. I think that's how you'd kill someone. I don't know. i I've seen it in movies. I, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a killer. I, I've just seen where they sneak up like a ninja or something. But it just get the point. Like, they don't like each other at all. He's probably sitting there like, are you serious? More tax collectors coming? Like, wh wh boy, what I would do to them right now. Like, 
they oppress my people. They've taxed us like crazy. I'm going to take them out. They're not taxing us anymore. Like, I want you to feel the tension of that. Now, let's go back to the narrative because that's not enough tension. We've got to add more tension to the story. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, the Pharisees didn't even go to Jesus. They, they went around him and went to the disciples, right? Like, that's kind of messed up. And Jesus, uh, or the Pharisees are like, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? So once again, if you didn't understand the difference, the social outcast that tax collectors were, I circled it again for you. Understand that tax collectors were social outcasts from their own people. They were labeled differently than sinners. And the Pharisees, they saw this. There was something going on. And so they tried to sneak around Jesus. But Jesus responds. Like, you, you talking to them, you're going to talk to me. So now when he heard this, he said, It is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. Now he's quoting from the book of Hosea. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus is telling the religious people, the churchy people, the Pharisees, hey, look, I'm not into your religious activities. What I'm looking for is mercy. And to unpack this word mercy just a little bit from the original language, it does mean mercy, but it can also mean pardon, compassion, and pleading. And so Jesus is like, hey, you're not getting it, sort of thing. Like, this is the compare and contrast, right? Like, the, the, the Pharisees are like, hey, you know, Matthew, if you would just repent practice the Torah, uh, abide by the food laws, that you'd exercise the Sabbath, like you'd be part of this community sort of thing. And Jesus is over here, and he's like, no, I just, I want you to just pursue me sort of thing. And, and this is socially awkward because there's clear defined boundaries here, but th th this is just awkward. It can be very awkward. Another uh, comment from William Barclay. He says, too often religion has been a means of creating divisions. Depending on what your church background is, maybe you've seen that even with the color of the carpet. It was meant to be, and in the presence of the living Jesus, it was a means of bringing together those who without Christ were separated from each other. And so Jesus is like, hey, you guys are making this way too difficult. I just want you to come follow me. You, you guys have added to this. You, you've made it more difficult to come into relationship with me. And depending on your background, maybe you were part of a church like this that just made it really difficult to come into relationship with Jesus. And so what you do is you leave that church and you come to another church and it just has its own bounded set. It just looks a little bit different. And Jesus just simply desired unity. He just wanted everything to be united around him. He wanted the church to just be one. Now when I say unity, that doesn't mean uniformity. 
There's different people, different gifts and talents God has put inside of you. And he wants to use all these little pieces together to be one. That doesn't mean uniformity. That just means we're one focusing towards Jesus. In fact, Jesus even prayed for this. He, he prayed for you. If, if you didn't know this, in John chapter 17, Jesus prayed for future believers. So if you just want to be immersed in a prayer that Jesus did for you, head over to John chapter 17. I pray not only for these. He's referring to his own closest disciples. I, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That's Matthew's word. That's what we're reading right now is Matthew's word, his testimony, his story, his interaction, his witness of Jesus. We're doing church today because of these men's stories and even women's lives that were impacted by Jesus. May they all be one, one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me. Let that sink in. The Holy Spirit now comes on our life. This glory that Jesus lived in is now with us, so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be, read these two words with me, completely one. Completely one. That the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. I just want to bring this visual back to you. And I want you to begin to process where are you at on this? Because from an outside perspective, right? Like looking from the outside, Matthew seems like the farthest thing away from Jesus. Now whether he heard Jesus' teachings, saw his supernatural healings that he would do, and there was something stirring, we don't know what that was, but then all of a sudden Jesus shows up and says, follow me. And Matthew gave up this lucrative business that he had a lifestyle that he had accumulated and he followed Jesus. Remember Judas, the betrayer? From the outside, he would seem like he's super close to Jesus. In fact, I mean, he made it in the top 12, right? Like he's part of the closest followers of Jesus. He seems like he's really close but on that last night, he betrayed Jesus. And so now the tension, the social awkwardness is, who's actually closer to Jesus? And we have to wrestle with this. There, there's not necessarily defined, defined boundaries. And maybe you find yourself just kind of floating. You, you've kind of hit cruise control. You've plateaued in your walk. You're not heading in any direction. Yeah, you made that commitment when you were a kid. Maybe you even got baptized. You got saved 15 times when you went to Bible camp year after year sort of thing. But you just, you just hit this plateau. 
I want to ask you some questions here this morning. Are you passionately moving towards Jesus? Are you passionately moving towards Jesus? Well, you know, I come every Sunday, you know, I, I throw some money in there, I serve once in a while. Yeah, I do, I do my thing. Or are you passionately moving towards Jesus? Are you pursuing him with everything that is inside of you? Because the, that diagram, that breaks down. I want to go back. This diagram breaks down here because Jesus went to Matthew. Jesus isn't static right here. He moves around. And sometimes Jesus is going to you. And he says, hey, come follow me. I got a better way. I got a better plan. Your life is going to be more fulfilling and full of joy. Just, just come follow me. And so this drawing, it breaks down there because Jesus went to Matthew. But something stirred within Matthew, this social outcast. Something was stirring within him. And Jesus... He was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. They knew where Jesus stood on certain issues and topics, but yet they wanted to be around Jesus. Let that truth set in. He didn't say, hey, Matthew, get your act together. Start reading the Torah every day. Now come follow me. He didn't say that. He just simply said, just, just come follow me, Matthew. And Matthew followed him. So I go back to that question. Are you passionately following Jesus? Are you pursuing after him? Have you created extra boundaries? Maybe you've been doing the church thing for a while. Have you added extra boundaries that has made it very difficult for followers of Jesus to come into relationship with him? Have you added extra boundaries? Are you outside of Jesus' boundaries? Hear me on this. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the narrow gateway to the Father. Only through Jesus can we have a relationship with God. It's very clear. Are you living outside of Jesus' boundaries? And this is more of a question for folks who've asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior. And I want to go back to this picture. I want you to wrestle with this. Are you, it seems like if everybody was to look into your life, to look on your social media, it seems like you're really close to the church, but there's nothing passionately pursuing Jesus. And maybe you're over here and you're like, uh, this Jesus thing, it's new, uh, it doesn't make sense. I've heard other people talk about this Jesus. It's starting to make a little bit, maybe you're way out here. What does it look like to follow Jesus? And maybe you're just floating. And maybe you're floating because you're living outside of Jesus' boundaries. Like I do the church thing, but I'm still partying with all my friends and getting drunk. The relationship I am in is not a godly relationship. I am not honoring God in this relationship. Is the community that you're in heading towards Jesus or is it heading away from Jesus?
I really want you to start processing those things. One last comment from William Barclay. Jesus sees in each one of us not only what we are, but also what he can make us. Just allow that to sit in. Don't read the screen anymore. Just let that sit in. What Jesus can do in you is far greater than any of your willpower or effort. And he wants to do that. And the only way that he's going to do that is if you follow him. If you hit reset on the community that you're in and get into a community that is centered and focused on Jesus. William continued, he said, Jesus chose these men not only for what they were, but also for what they were capable of becoming under his influence and his power. Has nothing to do with us, friends. We just have to make the simple decision. Are we going to set, uh, go towards the center with Jesus? Or are we gonna just kind of just keep doing what we've been doing? And so I wonder if today it's time to just hit reset on the way that we view community and the way that we do this. I think there's something absolutely powerful about these eternal decisions, these eternal things that we're processing, but to do something outwardly to express something that's happening on the inside. And so we brought out the kneelers up front, these, these uh, cushions. We're gonna have a prayer team over here to my right. And we're gonna sing a song called Come As You Are. And maybe you're like, I can't come as I am because I'm all messed up. I'm just, I'm broken, I'm worthless. And those are lies from the enemy. That is not from your creator. And he desires to be in relationship with you. And there's something powerful about just movement. And so I'm going to give three invitations. That's the most math you'll hear from me for the rest of the morning. Three invitations. The first invitation is for what I would call churchy people. You've been doing the church thing for a really long time. You've been doing it for a real long time. But you're not passionately pursuing Jesus. You've hit cruise control. You've gotten stagnant in your walk. You've added boundaries to make it more difficult for others to come into relationship with Jesus. I want to encourage you, if you're comfortable, to come towards the front. Prayer team, you can come down. If you need to have the prayer team pray over you, please do so. Second conversation, you've plateaued. You started that relationship, you were super excited, and then you just stopped. Maybe you're living outside of Jesus' boundaries. And you know that the community that you're in is not passionately pursuing Jesus. And maybe, maybe you just need to tell God you're sorry. He'll forgive you. We sang about his amazing grace. It is awesome. If we confess our sins, he, he alone is faithful and just. He will cleanse us. He'll purify us. He'll make us righteous before him. We just have to go through the act of actually confessing those things to him. And so that second invitation, maybe you need to come forward. And there's something, 
about being in a position of humility before the creator of that breath, the DNA that is in your blood that is flowing through your, your veins right now. There's something about being humble before him. And so maybe you need to come forward and maybe you're not comfortable coming down, but maybe you just need to, right in your chair, just kneel down right, right in front of yourself, right there. And then maybe there's some people in here that you haven't even started that relationship with Jesus yet. And maybe Jesus is moving towards you right now in this moment. And Jesus is saying, come follow me. Forget all the religious stuff. Just, just come follow me. I desire a relationship with you. And so the prayer team, I'll be down front. Thank you, Nicole. Nicole will be down front. We will pray with you. We will help you through that prayer. But I'm gonna pray in just a second and we're gonna sing this song. Just come as you are. You may feel the most busted up person in this room. That's okay. You might be the only person who comes forward. That's okay. Maybe no one comes forward. I have no idea what God's gonna do. But I want you to just truly be honest with God. Don't be self-deceived. Be honest with God. And do you need to hit reset with how you view community here this morning? Heavenly Father, as we hear your word and we see the people that you hung out with and how you loved them right where they were at and you desired a relationship with them. Lord, thank you that we see that. And Lord, may we tangibly feel that here this morning. And so Lord, Holy Spirit, would, would you just fall fresh and anew on this place, even on the the people who are watching online, Holy Spirit, would you fall fresh and new right now online? Would you begin to prompt something deep within inside of us and maybe we just need to humble ourselves and simply say, I'm sorry, or maybe we need to just say, you know what, I am gonna follow you, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, would you just move now in this place? Come as you are. You don't have to have it all together. You were, you were never created to carry that, that guilt or that shame. The enemy of your soul wants to kill, steal, and destroy, and he just wants to remind you of that thing. You, don't, you were never designed to carry that. God is compassionate and loving. He is slow to anger. And he just desires for you to just come as you are. There is an enemy of your soul. There is darkness. And it's hard to see sometimes. And God just wants to shine a light into that darkness. Jesus' own words in John 10.10 10 is the enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, uh-uh. I'm coming to bring you life. And not just a life, abundant life. And so church family, we're gonna sing Tremble. And I hope that we worship in a way that the gates of hell would tremble because of the name of Jesus. 
And so maybe God's still stirring in your heart. Maybe you still need to come forward. Maybe you still need to ask for prayer. If there's someone already there, just wait. Don't give up. They want to pray with you. But church family, let's worship this song. And let's declare this to the gates of hell. Let's declare this. Let's let those gates tremble in fear because of the light of Jesus happening here. Can I get an amen? Let's worship.